I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I feel bad about the result, yeah. But game, you know, like up and down, first two periods, it's both sides. But... Uh, just first game, yeah, series start, and we'll, we'll see heads up, like how I said, after every game, uh, heads up and keep on working. Now, how, do you, how do you regroup after a loss? I'm sure you're kind of Like, go back home, you know, like, get some food and go to the sleep. Tomorrow, sun is up again, yeah. Alrighty, James, we have one game down in the second round. Leafs are down one nothing in the series. What um, what what's like your initial like thought or takeaway watching that game unfold? So you know it was really interesting, and and I think I would think people could pick up on this watching at home or if they were in the building or listening on radio or whatever. It did feel like a, a, a letdown emotionally, in terms of like the atmosphere just felt a little different. Like it didn't feel as tight. People were saying or it felt like a regu- regular tense. season game. It did, and like I don't know if that's because of the way Florida plays. I don't know if that's because there was so much emotionally built into that series with Tampa for like a million different reasons, and maybe like the bubble just burst a little bit. But it did well, not the Leafs feel gotta be the careful. same. They got to be careful that they don't. You know, they didn't. Um, they 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 didn't leave everything on the table in the first round, right? I mean, they they said all the right things after beating Tampa, but you know, sometimes. 
I think it was Keith that said, right, that sometimes in situations like this, it, it, it favors the team that kept playing, right? It, like having the shorter break can be better. I mean, I, th- I think there was only one extra day off that the Leafs ended up getting, but sometimes the, the team that plays right to game seven does better early in a series. Yeah. Now you could say like, now, wouldn't it be Florida that, that has like a bit of a letdown because like they just win this game seven. But I kind of yeah. think just because of how much was at stake for the Leafs and how much they knew was at stake that you could see how there would just be a little bit of a dip. And it, if honestly, James, like it really did feel different in the building. It didn't feel like a playoff game. Uh, again, I don't know if that's just based on the way that the game was played. I don't know if it's like, I don't know what it was, but it did feel different. And obviously the Leafs didn't play as well. I don't think they play bad. Like I don't, I, I think there were things obviously within the game that we're going to get to that, that need to be cleaned up as the series moves ahead, but it wasn't like... It was like key mistakes, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Leafs were, on the power play, the Leafs were, were good and, you know, they easily could have had a couple of goals there with all of what they were generating late in the game. You know, there was a lot of a lot of opportunities. Um, I don't know. I mean, you probably have an agenda for where you want to start, so I'll let you take it away. I think that's actually a good place to start because they get those those two opportunities early in the game and they are just all over it. And if you go back yeah. to, to the series that Florida plays against Boston, I think Boston set like a record for the amount of power play goals that they scored. I don't know if it was their record or whatever mm. it was. Pl- Florida doesn't have a good penalty kill. And the Leafs had legitimate chances, obviously, on those first two power plays and do not score. And you know how it goes in hockey. You get two early power plays back to back and you don't score what's going to happen. You get scored on. And then they get scored on. I'm looking at moneypuck.com, which is an awesome site, and uh 5 on 5 in that game, the Leafs had 2.8 expected goals. All situations, so you bring in like the goalie out and the power plays, they had 5.8. So they had they had more they they, they basically had more expected goals not on five on five than Florida had total in the game. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. and a lot of that is power play. A lot of that is six on five, but you know, the, the Leafs had more than enough chances to win, but Robski was really good. And the Leafs made some, some dumb mistakes that, that cost them. Well, so let's get into some of that. I, I think Bobrovsky is, is a big part of the game. He, I think the, the actual number was like, he stopped four goals more than expected, which yeah. is basically the game in itself. But they did something interesting to, to start the game, which surprised me because going into the game, a big story or a big storyline of the series was going to be, how are they going to slow down Matthew Kachuk? Because you look at the, the past couple of years that he's had and he's been, I don't even know if it's, I don't think it's gone under the radar, but it's maybe kind of risen to the surface more this year just because of the circumstances in Florida where he kind of powers them into the playoffs. But the question was like, okay, well, what do you, how are you going to match up against Kachuk and that line, which I don't even know if you'd call it their top line. Like is that is Kachuk Bennett Cousins their top line? Is it their second line? I mean like when you have the way I the way they're structured, like they've got offense on three lines, like real legit offense on three lines. Probably even more I would say more than the Leafs, just with the way the Leafs lines were for that game. Because the Leafs third and fourth line uh, the Leafs kind of looked a bit like a one line team in that game. You know, when they yes. especially when they you go to Matthews and Marner together um. So I mean, the the thing I I was listening to a lot of the analysis going into this series, and I felt like people were selling Florida short because offensively they're a powerhouse. Like they are, they're they're one of the best offensive teams by far in the league. And Toronto's really good too. 
But really, the story of this series is going to be, can you limit what what they're able to generate? And in game one, the answer was no. So let's get to that that matchup specifically, because I went into that game thinking, like I, I think we talked about it even uh, on the last pod, I was expecting them to match the Matthews line against Kachuk. They went into that game and they decided that they were going to try to use Tavares, Marner, and Yarncroft against the Kachuk line. Mm-hmm. They started the game that way. It did not work. It backfired. The Kachuk line dominated that first period. They scored a goal uh, against that line. In the second period, Sheldon Keefe changed everything. He put Marner with Matthews, as you mentioned. He put Nylander with Tavares and Yarncroft, and he changed the matchups around. And, and after the game, he said like he felt that that made a difference. Um, they're in a real tricky spot with what you're talking about, how Florida kind of stacks their lines. They've kind of got all these threats on different lines. and Just to spell it out, like Reinhardt's a really good offensive player. He had 31 goals during the regular season, yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's basically, he's on their third line. And then you got Barkov with Verhege, and Verhege had 42 goals this year. Yes. So, and then the other thing you got to watch out for Florida, too, is their defense activates like crazy, which we saw, mm-hmm. and is really, really good offensively. Montour, Ekblad, Forsling, like they can really burn you. So it's almost like sometimes like there's a fourth forward out there playing for them with the way that they play. And again, they sim- I wonder... I wonder if it was based on tape that they watched of the Tampa series or not, but they like the forecheck looked a lot like, and I know they were doing that to Boston too. So, but you know, the, the book on the Leafs is get on their defense, wear them down, limit what the breakout can do, and then you're going to hurt them. And it looked, it it looked different than the Tampa series, but there were some things that that I saw that looked the same. Well, and they just didn't have ultimately, like we talked about the first period of it, but ultimately they did not have a, great answer for Kachuk like the final two periods they did a better job they played Matthews more against that line Matthews and Marner had the puck more which meant Kachuk didn't have the puck but if you look at Kachuk's line he plays almost 21 minutes he has three assists he has nine hits Uh, he had five shot attempts and I believe if my memory serves shot attempts were 26 to 8 when he was on the ice for Florida yep Um, 69% expected goals with Kachuk and Cousins and Bennett out there. So like that's like that's that's an ass kicking, right? Like that's that's well, an MVP type performance. What's the last game you can remember Mar- Marner being down in like the thirty low thirty percent for that? I mean, like that's that's his the first round of the playoffs against yeah. Tampa in the series. He's like sixty three percent, and he's down at thirty percent in game one here. Well, one of the good, one of the many positive things that he did in that Tampa series was like defensively, like nothing was happening when he was yeah. on the ice. And and yeah. obviously he gets, that we should must mention, be what he, Keith was thinking, right? And like putting that line up against them. He's got Marner and Yarncroft there. Two really good defensive players. One who had, who just got nominated for the Selkie Trophy, which is a, obviously a tip in Marner's cap. I don't think he's going to win, but to be nominated is I think obviously I had him a big second. deal. Do you remember how you did voted? You? I had him fifth, I believe. Um, I had him second or third if my my old man memory isn't failing me. Yeah, I was trying to remember my MVP ballot. I was like, did I put Kachuk second? I thought I put Kachuk second after McDavid. Well, he's um, going to get I'm nominated sure for sure. Um, but so I, I think there's some interesting questions as we look ahead to game two. One of them is, is what the heck do they do with their lineup? Because this Kachuk problem is not going away. Um, 
I think they kind of have to play Matthews and Marner together. Sheldon Keefe is is like admittedly wrestling with this after practice on whatever day today is Wednesday. Wednesday. He brought it up several times that he's not really sure what they should do. The problem is like, and you can speak to what you think they should do, is if you play Matthews and Marner together, you're using them against Kachuk to try to slow that line down. But then it presents all these different other problems for the rest of the lines. Can you get enough offense? Is it optimal to be using Matthews and Marner in those spots, potentially defensive zone draws against really good competition? I don't know what they should do. Um, I kind of think that's where I'd lean. But do you feel differently? Do you think they should play them apart like they had been? Well, let's. Another observation I had was that he really. He, the minutes that Matthews and Marner played were just huge. Like, it felt like that was the only line that he felt like he could, like, they, they both played over 25 minutes, I believe. And then on the flip side, the fourth line, I think Aston Reese had, what, like five or six minutes in the game? Like, it, you know, Camp played less than I can remember him ever playing in a Leafs uniform. I think he, did he, did he even hit 10 minutes? Like, 10 and a half, yeah. There's really not a lot of trust in, in the bottom of the lineup. And, you know, it's, I don't know. Like, Playing a team like this, like I wonder, is there a world where maybe like O'Reilly goes with Nylander, or you just try something completely different? Yeah, I, I mean that's that's part of the question. Like I, I think, is there enough you can give Tavares that like makes him not completely ineffective at even strength? If you're if you're moving both Marner and Nylander away from him, the tough thing is like um, you need to surround Tavares with enough defensive speed. support to not yeah. be victimized but you also have to have enough offensive support so that he can be put in positions to actually score around the net that's right. the delicate game right like that's that's why you play Nealander with him but then like the defensive limitations of those two guys become an issue yeah the Nealander Tavares combination is just it's been problematic for I mean it was while. problematic last season for long stretches too like it just it really seems to come and go and Florida has like I said, they have more offense lines one through three than the Leafs do, which is which is interesting because there's there's hardly any teams. In, I mean, they're probably the only team in the league that that looks like that. Yeah, that that literally has like a a thirty. They have a forty goal score on one line, a forty goal score on another line, and a thirty goal score on their third liner. Right. Yeah. Or however many Kachuk had a hundred point guy on another line, right? Yeah. And that's without like that's without Barkov looking like completely dominant. Like I know he's had a lot of injuries and stuff like that this year, but like they just have a lot of threats. Well, let, let's be clear. Like as you pointed out, we pointed out with Bobrovsky, they had lots of good opportunities in in the first game. But one thing, like you and I have been talking about, because I'm writing about this, and the story will be out. I assume by the time people listen to this, they really need to take advantage of that defense because you look at their defense like one through six. And you look at the forwards that the Leafs have and the types of lines that they can put together offensively, the the force that they can play with offensively, the Panthers as a whole defensively are not very good. This this should not be a fight, right? Like they should be able to score and generate basically at will against Florida. And I think what gives the Leafs the edge in this series is defensively they can get to a place that the Panthers just can't get to both because of personnel and because of how they play. Yeah. I mean that the Leafs should be able to defend better on the rush than they did. Like that goal that they give to Verhege, like just shouldn't happen. That like that should, that, that should be what Florida is giving up. 
you know, yes. and and did give up, right? Like did give up in spots and just didn't score. We've been doing lots of research, kind of on the Panthers and and deep dive and talking to people who know the team well, and like you know, there's there's lots of weaknesses there. Even you know the best defensemen who play a lot of minutes for Florida, you know, Forsling's not very good when you get him in the zone and you're cycling around and the Leafs didn't yeah. do enough of that in game one. You know, Montour is not good on the rush. You know, the Leafs should be able to find opportunities when he's out there where you can exploit him. You know, and even Ekblad, who I think most people will consider their their best defenseman, you know, um, at, at even strength, he's not a super strong defensive player and the Leafs should be able to take advantage of that. You know, and then you get down, you know, then you've got Mark Stahl, who's, what did you say he is in your story? Like 35, 36 years old, you know, he's lots of miles there. Gudis, you know, like is what he is, you know, you don't, you, you should be able to exploit that third pair as well. Um, I thought coming into this series that a lot of the games were going to be 5-4, maybe even some 6-5 games, like just really, and that's what, that's the way Florida wants to play. Like that's the way that they can win. The Leafs yeah. should be able to lock it down better than they did in game one, but they're just going to have to, they're going to have to get used to the idea that you've got a 30, 40 goal guy on the ice against you basically all the time. Yeah, which is difficult and presents challenges for their defense. And as you noted, uh, just in, in the two of us talking about the game, breaking the puck out is still an issue. And Tampa or Florida is trying to do the same things in terms of their forecheck as Tampa did so successfully in that series. One uh, one person I was talking to around the league who was watching the series closely said that uh, the Panthers' biggest weakness is they've gotten basically destroyed in the postseason so far defending the rush. Like they're, you know, the weakest team at that. So whereas in the Tampa series, the, the Leafs really weren't getting any odd man advantages or breakaways or three on twos, those opportunities should be there against Florida. And I don't know that, I mean, Matthews did get in alone. There were, there's, it was just much more wide open and that the Leafs should be able to play that way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and uh, honestly, like a lot of the game could come down to, you know, like Bobrovsky just outplayed Samsonov, right? So yes. I think you want to protect Samsonov a bit better and get to Bobrovsky even a little bit more. But, for, uh, you know, Toronto generating 5.8 expected goals. I mean, you, ex <laughs> you, you expect to win pun intended, a lot of games where you generate that much. I think that's absolutely right. Um, and they felt like, and did, have issues around their net. Like uh, Kachuk makes that play around Marner on the first goal and then McCabe and Yarncroft are beaten to the rebound. Just little stuff like that. Like I thought it was funny that the, the narrative kind of coming out of that game is quote-unquote mistakes doom the Leafs. Like that's how you lose any game more or less right like you make a mistake and you lose you know what i mean like what's revolutionary about that well, um the the biggest one for me is you know the game's tied 2-2 there's what two minutes the left one. in this two minutes left in the second like you don't make that mistake you go into the third tied 2-2 it's really anybody's game but that was just such a killer you got your top defensive pair out there and both guys make a mistake i don't know what mccabe was thinking at that time of the game and you know it's yeah. And Brody's gamble is, I don't know, it's not a Brody-like yeah. play. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with Brody because he was so solid. He's been so solid ever since he came to Toronto, you know, even in the playoffs. And he's had he had moments against Tampa, but I just, I don't recall him seeing him make so many mistakes. So, I don't know if that's an injury or they're just asking him to do too much or what it is. Well, and it, it is somewhat 
notable. Like his ice time is down a little bit. Like he played eighteen forty two in game one, mm-hmm. which for him is like is low. Yeah. Uh, Riley played twenty five. You could see minutes. in the the Tampa series they were he was going Keith was going to Riley more and more and and dialing Brody back. Whereas early in the series Brody was leading the team in ice time, right? Yeah, if I recall correctly. One of those Tampa games goes to OT, but like 32 minutes, 22 minutes, 21, 23, 44 in game six uh, against the Lightning. So is there anything else about that game you want to touch on before we get to questions? The other thing I think we could mention, and this might even come up in the questions, like Giordano is continuing to struggle. Lilgren was, I mean, had a couple mistakes. I would say just okay. Like the third pair, you're not feeling super... I don't know how many minutes they played. I didn't look that up before we came I on. I have it in front of me. I can tell you. Uh, Giordano played 15 minutes. Not a lot. Uh, and Lilligren played 17. Yeah. Like, I think with the way they're playing, you might even have to pull that back even more. The, the Panthers had 92 points and barely got into the playoffs. This is not a 92-point hockey team. Like, you know, like they didn't have Duclair for most of the year. And, you know, they had a lot of guys hurt. And, like, they're this is a really good team. Are we getting to a point now... If this keeps up with Giordano, that they have to consider making a change. Yeah, I wonder. Like now, I'm starting to. I like. I wonder if you see Justin Hall in this series, and if you're only playing Aston Reese six minutes, like maybe you should go eleven and seven. Yeah, I don't like that. I I've never been a fan of eleven seven, and I think we saw. I mean, one of the things that that Keith is talking about that they're kind of contemplating is. And I think eleven and seven would do this is to become a little bit more unpredictable, and that's what ends up happening with eleven and seven. And because your forward combinations just get jumbled all the time, that it's it's really hard to predict if you're the opponent who's going to come on the ice, which presents problems, especially when you're on the road. Um, but I wonder. I mean, it's, it would be hard to see them sitting Mark Giordano. Given how much offense they generated, maybe we're overthinking, and maybe keeps overthinking it too, because you said that, like, I don't know, like maybe completely changing everything doesn't make sense given the things that they did well in that game. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That's that's a fair thing. And, and it's funny, like I, you go back to the Tampa series and one thing, John Cooper like barely changed anything in terms of like combinations, personnel. Like there was the odd change here and there. Yeah, um, that's true. I never thought about that, but yeah. Yeah, like he like, kind of just kept yeah. things up. And maybe like at times we and me, I, I just mean me because I can only account for me. You love, you love changing lines and think about combos. I do, and like and, changing different yeah. things. And, and and Sheldon Keith does as well. And like you wonder if sometimes you get too in the mindset of like, I got to change this, I got to change this, I got to change this, instead of just kind of like keeping it steady and keeping things the same. It's almost like defend better off the rush and, fi- and, and exploit those weaknesses on the Panthers blue line a bit better and be a, a bit more opportunistic and you, you should be okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and I think you're right. I think, I mean, the issue with dialing up the top four a little bit more is McCabe and Brody have had their issues. Um, yeah. But, like, if you look at that Tampa series, James, I think they were on the ice for one five-on-five goal against together. So... Well, I know it, it, Brody on the yeah. ice, I think it was four-four-three against at five-on-five, five, and, like, he was playing big minutes. So, like, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so they're keeping the puck out. Now, that didn't happen in, in the first game against the Panthers. So we'll see how this thing moves along and it's just like the only the other thing i'd add with giordano is like he's 39 like this you know what i mean like he's yeah. played a lot of minutes they should have rested career, him more during the season they should have rested him more sorry to talk over you they, they should have rested him more during the season yeah he ended up playing did he play 80 games let me check he played 78 games yeah 
19 minutes a game. Yeah. And his minutes obviously are down in the playoffs. He looks 39. He is averaging 17 and a half in the playoffs. Yeah, that's too too much. Yeah, let's take a break and let's get into some questions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, James. You know what I didn't mention, I forgot to mention, is Paul Maurice. I, I guess we talked about that on the last podcast, but it is kind of fun to see a former Leafs coach face like his old team all these but years. It's been later. so long too, right? Like Yeah. Like Paul Maurice has been a guy. Like remember he was a coach when he was like in his I want to say early thirties. Like he's been Wasn't he even younger, wasn't he? Like twenty eight or something? He is one of the league's great orators from behind the bench. Like he is did you, I, plus, did you like right? the, the hand gestures with the number of penalties on each hand? Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. Uh sorry, I have it here, James. This is Wikipedia. At the age of 28, Maurice became the second youngest coach in the NHL, in NHL history behind Gary Green, who mm. was 26 when he took over mm. Washington. 28. Mm. And that was Carolina, right? That was Carolina, yeah. Or no, Paul I guess Maurice, that was, yeah. yeah, there we go. The Whalers. Was it Hartford? It was, yeah, I was going to say Holy Hartford. Geez. Yeah. You know you've been around a while when. And what year was that? Uh, I just closed it. I think it was 96. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, right. I mean, I, like I was in high school. Yeah. And he was, he was like, he looked like a kid. Um, and he was, he coached a long time in Carolina. Yeah. All right. You ready for questions? Ready. Uh, number one question. Adam says, is anyone worried about Bobrovsky stealing this series? The Leafs seem like clearly the better team in game one, but they couldn't get pucks past the guy. Uh, I feel they were more snake bitten than goalied. Am I wrong? I mean, it's one game. I mean, the thing with Bobrovsky is that he has, he's kind of all over the place. Like he's, I mean, he's one of Vesna. He's been around the league a long time. There's a reason why he makes $10 million a year. Like he, he has that pedigree, but he's older. He's struggled in recent years. And, you know, the Leafs got to just keep, you keep generating that, you know, five plus expected goals a game. You're going to break through. You're, you're going to get your chances. And, you know, I thought the Nye's goal was a good, example of what they need to do on him is just generate just like a lot of chaos in front of Borowski. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't think like they should have no trouble scoring against this team. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I fans are worried, right? Because, you know, the carry price, like they've, they've, what Corpusalo, like there's been a, the series that Toronto's lost that they deserve to win. The goalie on the other team was a big factor. And those were some pretty good goalies. Uh, Benjamin says uh, Kucherov and points offensive production was negated in the Lightning series 
uh, at even strength? What was the Leafs' most common line played against them? What did they do right? Can the Leafs implement a similar strategy to try and contain Kachuk? I I feel like the difference is that there's Florida has three lines you got to worry about offensively. But yes, who who played the most against Kucherov in point? Would you say? I mean, Marner felt like right. Well, n- well, no, because you would often have Sorelli going against the Matthews line, so it was en- it ended up being right. some combination of the other lines that ended up facing right, that point. right, right, right. Kucherov, right. yeah. So it was O'Reilly sometimes, occasionally Camp, occasionally Tavares. Um, but yeah, like it's tough. Like it's exactly what you talked about before. Like you still need a line that's going to be able to <clears throat> keep Barkov, Verhage. Reinhardt, like there's so many different threats that you have to find a way Duke to match Duclair's a good all, offensive right? player too. I mean, I know he missed most of the season, but like he's a guy that, like last year in Florida, he put up a lot of a lot of offense. And he's got speed too. Like that's the thing that you got to worry about with some of these guys, the Verhage and, and Duclair is they're just, they're fast. They can skate. They had 12 guys score 12 goals or more during the regular season. Does that seem like a yeah. lot? I thought it was a lot. Yeah, I mean, because normally you don't get a lot of goals from... You're including defense in there, too? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, normally you don't you don't get that contributions from as many different people as they did. Yeah. And that wouldn't include Duclair, because he only played 20 games or whatever. Correct. And he had... He had pretty good numbers in a short amount of games. Nine I think points he had 10 points games. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brad said during the regular season, the Leafs defense often shut down good teams for entire periods, limiting shots and chances. What has happened to this defense? Is it quality of competition or something more systematic? I mean, we talked a lot about the system stuff against Tampa. I think that that's a lot of what you're seeing with the the kind of like forecheck pressure uh, that the teams are throwing at the Leafs defense that they didn't really deal with as much during the regular season. So... Um, something that the Leafs can have to adapt to. And and I know we talked about this in the first round as well, but like the Leafs don't have the fastest blue line out there. They don't have, you know, Riley's obviously one example, um, but it's not just speed because like Shen's not a speedy guy and he's managed to to succeed. Um, it's, it's almost, you know, someone like, I think with Lilgren, you know, the thing we've talked about with him in his career is kind of like processing speed is important. And that's, that's part of what got Hall burned is just like not being able to make, make the right play quickly. And I see a little bit of that from McCabe at times. Well, and you're asking, let's be honest, like you, you mentioned the, that, like the personnel side of it is a thing too. Like they're asking McCabe to do something he's never done before. Like he's never played obviously in the NHL playoffs before. And now he's defending top lines like every other night, really good top lines, like in really tense games and Brody, you know, Brody obviously had a really good year. He pr- probably is is a bit worn down at this point in the year. He's 32. Like, they're just asking a lot from certain guys. Like, Mark Giordano, we mentioned, is 39. Like, Justin Hall had his issues, obviously, in the Tampa series. It's just, I don't know. Like, it, you, you sometimes forget, and now is probably a good time to remember. Like, they lost a, their biggest piece defensively to injury, and that, that hurts. Like, they're asking... McCabe to be Jake Muzzin and he's not Jake Muzzin but he might be good enough like I think I think there's reason to think based on some of the stuff that's gone on since he got here that he might just be good enough but it's a lot yeah well like I said I mean I thought McCabe was okay in game one I mean other than the really bad mistake pinching up the way that he did 
Yeah. Uh, Scott says, Keefe defaulted to immediately putting Matthews and Marner back together. It didn't seem to help. What are your thoughts on that conundrum? Keep them together or separate them. Did you come away today with like a, a plan for what you'd think the line should look like? I did, but then I scrapped it and then I <laughs> looked at a different one and I'm like, I, I probably did the same thing that, that he, he and his staff have done where like, you're like, what about this? And then you're like, uh, I don't know. What about, what if that happens and this happens? It's, it's odd, like, because part of the, the draw of getting Ryan O'Reilly was to help kind of solve some of these issues, but Florida almost presents, I don't know, like, there's something stylistically with that Kachuk line that I don't know would fit with O'Reilly, and I mean, I, like, you're trying to find a way that you can protect the Tavares line, and I don't know what I would do, honestly. Like, maybe 11 and 7 is the way to go. I don't, honestly, I don't Yeah, know. I'm kind of leaning that way. I mean, I know, I mean, this is just seven like, guys, seven guys going to be Justin Hall, right? So like, uh, I'm sure some fans are screaming at their listing. Oh, you think Gustafson comes in? I don't know. Like based on some of the issues that, that Giordano has, maybe you want another left shot in there. The only thing is like, you go back to that game six against Tampa, Gustafson played like seven minutes. Like yeah. I'd rather just have the extra forward if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. 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 Well, that's why I think it might be a Hall situation, but. I can understand why that would make some people nervous. If you bring Hall in, it doesn't really allow you to rest Giordano that much, right? Because no. then you're just overloaded on the right side. But like I said, I mean, I said I just said this like ten minutes ago. But like maybe we're maybe we're overthinking it because like they didn't play that badly. They just need to clean things up. No, but that game was played on Florida's terms, right? That's the kind of game they want to play. Well, yeah, yeah, and that's not great. Yeah, I mean, if they play. On Florida's terms, the series is probably a, more of a coin flip than it should be. Like they, need yeah, to, because every game it's like exactly what you said. It's going to be five four. It's going to be six five. Yep. It's going to be whatever. Yep, yep. And there's a chaos and mistakes, and you know, like if the Leafs can lo- if the Leafs can lock it down on their own end better and try and turn it into a two one or a three two game, that definitely is going to favor them. All right, Zach wants to know. Uh, he's he's upset with Alex Kerfoot. He says, can you explain the rationale of this group's love for Alex Kerfoot? I've watched every Leafs game this year, and I can't understand what they see in him. If he was making $800,000, I could see he'd be a valuable piece, but his current contract, I don't understand why they didn't, didn't move him at the deadline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he's on the fourth line. He's not playing a lot of minutes, but it's it's true that Sheldon Keefe likes him. I mean, what Sheldon Keefe likes him is that he feels like he can play him on any line at any position, um, use him on the on the penalty kill. Um, but I agree. I mean, his playoff has been pretty underwhelming. Been up and down. I mean, obviously he scored one of the biggest goals of the season. That counts for something. But you know what it is with, with what you're talking about with Keith? It's trust. Like he trusts that he's not going to make a mistake that's going to cost them a game. And I mean, right. that line did not have a good game one. It just seems like in the playoffs, like Kerfoot has a little bit of like the Engvall problem where he's less can make less of an impact and is less noticeable in the playoffs. Although, he, I mean, he has had good playoffs in the past. Wasn't it the Montreal series? That he yeah, had good- he was one of their better players, yeah. But yeah, he just seems to not be that noticeable for long stretches in the playoffs to me. Yeah. They didn't lose that game because of that, though. Uh, Sam says, uh, I'm not going to quote exactly what he says, but <laughs> he basically said, do, do, how do we feel about how Nylander played? Uh, he says uh, in game one, he believes his play was infuriating, to quote Sam. How do you feel about Nylander? So he had some better looks than he's had 
or that he had than he had in the Tampa series. He finished that game with seven shots, nine attempts. Obviously, some of that's late. He led the team in expected goals generated, both at even strength and in all situations. He also led the team in uh, expected goal share when on the ice. Yeah, it's still like he doesn't have a five-on-five goal in the playoffs. This is a guy who scored 40 during the regular season. There's still something that that's a little off there, and I don't know what it is. I can't put my well, that finger one on play it. He made where he danced around stall and had an open lane to the net and didn't notice that he could have went right on goal. It was like, what? Are, what are he doing? Yeah, I I think honestly he's lost some of his confidence. The, like the, the the stretch down at the end of the year, it felt like he was starting to get it back, but like he just doesn't feel totally like himself. Obviously, they've taken him off the number one power play unit where he had been obviously just about exclusively since Kikif became the coach. I don't know. Something, something just hasn't felt right. And you know what? Like just going back to some of the line combinations, they really haven't found anything that's worked all playoffs. Like there's not one line you'd look at and you'd be like that. That's been the group that they can count on night after night. I like, I can't point to one combination. That's like, that's, that's been working at all. Like any, any game, I don't know that they've had anything really kind of clicking that way, which is which is probably a good and bad thing, like good in the fact that you're able to win a series in spite of that and bad in the fact that you're in the second round and like there's not really anything in stone. This is a funny question. Will says, if you could add any historic Leafs player to this Leafs team, who would it be? <laughs> if you wanted to add like one amazing piece, would I mean, my mind you know goes who to I would go? Add, add like a stud defenseman maybe i was gonna say gary roberts it just always felt like he performed in the playoffs yeah he did scary gary i was thinking completely different i was like what about like prime cujo you know you get like a goalie who's just or or like or like a borea salming you know like just like an amazing defenseman who can play big minutes what about like ed belfour yeah well cujo or belfour those were the names that came to mind for me like you know if this team had a weapon like that, not that Samson has been bad, but uh, all right, we're winding down here. Uh, <laughs> Curtis says, we know James hasn't seen any movies, man. After we recorded that <laughs> podcast last week, I went and watched Parasite right away. I'm going to knock off all of the ones that you said, and then you're, you're going to have nice. no argument. You're going to have no argument against me once I've watched them all. Oh, you know what? I wanted to tell you, I watched one myself that, that is in your realm. I watched Prometheus. Oh, yeah. What'd Which you was think? excellent. I really liked it. It's pretty cool, eh? Yeah. 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 You know what? There's a deleted scene in that one that I thought was, was should have been in the movie at the end where there's the... Conf- I don't want to spoil the movie for people, but there's the confrontation at the end. Yeah. Um, And then there was a deleted scene with more dialogue that made it way better. I don't know why they took it out. Maybe timing? So the, the, the next one, uh, you have to see the sequel to Prometheus as well, which is... What's that? It's called Alien Covenant. Oh yeah, I've been. I'm already on that. Yeah, it follows where uh, David goes after Prometheus, so it gets. It's pretty. It's pretty dark. Oh baby. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see if we got any. There's lots and lots of questions about the lines. Matt, yeah, wonders should they think about playing Matt Murray in a game for the Marlies before the Leafs dress him as the backup? An interesting idea. I mean, the Marlies are in the playoffs. Like, they're fighting for their lives against Utica. So, I don't know whether you want to put the AHL run in jeopardy just to get the... I don't know. That's an interesting question. I never even thought of that. Yeah, I didn't either. 
I mean, they they basically said that at a certain point he'll probably end up being the backup, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he will have not played in more than a month. All right, I got one more for you. Uh, Nick wants to know what are our thoughts on how the, the bottom six played in game one? What did you see there? I mean, O'Reilly didn't seem very effective yeah, to me. Did not seem out. like an O'Reilly game. Yeah, like do you, th- I, do you think O'Reilly's hurt? Like I wonder. Remember that he had that one shot block that was just like crushed his foot. Like it seems like he's. I know he's not the fastest guy, but it. I don't know whether it's wear and tear or what it is, but um, he hasn't seemed as to be making as big an impact as he did early in the Tampa series. I don't think it would be unfair to say, and this is just speculation, that he's not 100%. Like, I don't... Yeah. yeah. I mean, even just seeing him walking around the rink, I don't think he's 100%. Yeah, he played 18 minutes. Yeah, he had a quiet game in the opener. And that line, I didn't think... Like, to the question, like, I didn't think either line was particularly good. Their fourth line, like, they really... That's another thing. Like, they just really haven't gotten anything positive from those groups. There's a lot of actually Ryan O'Reilly questions now that I'm looking for the uh, looking through the results here. Uh, last thing, Tim says, can we have another live taping of a podcast? Thanks to everyone that ever came out to the live recordings. I think the favorite, my favorite one that we did was in uh, St. John's in Newfoundland. That was that was in a brewery there, like near near the water. Was, was pretty cool. Yeah, we would love we would love too. to do it. If anyone listening is like knows how to run events and stuff, like they can reach out to us because we don't really know how to plan something like that like we always had uh our friend kevin kennedy was always doing the uh, the live events and um i think he's kind of out of that business so um i think we would probably need some help getting it set up but we would love to do it we used to get uh to the rivoli we used to get you know i don't know how many people would be there 100 120 or something and it was a lot of fun taping live and we would get special guests and um we should definitely find a way to do that again totes and i should add by the way that the O'Reilly line did get a goal for them from Michael Bunting, so yeah, a nice not a goal. Completely, yeah, nice. What a night. what a nice goal! I would think about putting Bunting up the lineup. To be honest, that's where I'm at. I think it's time to put him back with Matthews. But like, we should we we haven't spent any time mentioning Matthew Nyes. It's like it keeps happening, right? Like he keeps making plays, and obviously he gets his first goal. Really nice, very goal, nice. Really yeah, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> All right, James. A, I think, a hell I think of a we've goal. had enough. It was a hell of a goal. Uh, I think we've had enough. We will be back after game two with plenty to talk about. Anything else you want to add? I should add before you talk, uh, Josh Cloak had a great story on Matthew Nice. If you want to check that out, I wrote about the Chuck line. I'll have a story about the Panthers defense. We have all kinds of other things. Brewing, cooking at the athletics. So go to theathletic.com slash leaf report if you haven't signed up. Anything else, James? Just thanks for listening, everybody. The numbers have been great. It's been a lot of fun doing this through the playoffs. Goodbye, James. Goodbye.